Hello, welcome to another episode of So Fly. It's uh, beginning of July. We're back in the studio. My name is Mitch. We've got uh, Yilma here. Hey, everybody. And uh, yeah, we're recording out of the Hive today. Normally, we're recording out of uh, our space in the uh, One Method there in CBC building, but switched it up because Yilma and I are working away. Um, and we've got a very special show today. Uh, actually, today's episode is is one of a few shows we're doing to kind of just raise awareness around our waters um, and the need to protect them in Ontario and beyond and just sort of understand our impact on them. Um, you know, more and more, I think, with climate change, with single-use plastics, we're understanding just how much of an impact that we have on our environment. So, you know, we, we just had this idea to just kind of sit down and talk about talk about our waters and, and our need to sort of be stewards and, and protect them. I think, um, you know, we're a fly fishing podcast, so obviously we have an interest in our waters, not only because... They give us so much in terms of fly fishing and, and activity and being on the water, but also just because they've they've moved us. I think they've changed sort of the way we look at life. Um, our rivers have had like a really deep emotional impact on all of us. I think Yilma, you can agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all alertsness out there can also agree with that statement. Um, so, you know, it goes beyond activity. I think our water has really become a big part of our lives emotionally and we're truly, truly care about the water that uh, we fish and the ecosystems and the animals within them. So for us and for anyone, it's, you know, I think it's also easy for us to say it's important people take care of our water. Someone else will take care of it. Someone out there will do it. But I think more and more we're realizing just doing these podcasts that that someone else is us. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, we've done an event at Patagonia last summer. We've met so many different people in the community and um, people are talking about this need for change on the river. So, yeah, this is part this is part of one of those episodes where we're going to be talking about, um, you know, water stewardship and the ecosystems. Um so that's why we're doing this. We're just dedicating these few episodes to guests who have either dedicated their life's work uh, to fighting for our water or have a deep interest in protecting it because it's also moved them. Um, our guests for the series will include Eric, our buddy up at uh, Tomogamy Outfitting Co., Eric Finkel. Um, we're going to have Les Stroud on the show, otherwise known as Survivor Man. He's going to be talking about Tomogamy. And um, we have today's guest as well, who's Mark Matson. Mark, how's it going? Great. Thanks. Let me just kick the door right down. Please, you, yes. I started as a fish. So. Yeah, you did, right? <laughs> That's so, awesome. No embarrassment there. <laughs> That's perfect, yeah. Mark, what's, uh, what's, what's Swim, Drink, Fish? Maybe we just kick it off with a little introduction to that. Sure. I mean, um, Swim, Drink, Fish was a reaction to the no swim, no fish, no drink signs that we see all over the place, particularly in urban centers. So I was a lawyer. I started as a criminal lawyer. And um, got involved in environmental issues. I, I grew up on a little place called Wolf Island, right across from Kingston. And I was just a outdoors kid who grew up catching minnows and crayfish and frogs most of my life. And um, yeah, and as it developed and I became a lawyer, I really, I got really angry about those signs. They were more prevalent than ever. And I started understanding a lot of what was, why these risk assessments were you know, falling on the fishermen not to eat the fish or the people not to drink or swim in the water. And so anyways, I decided to dedicate my life to trying to take those signs down. So swimble, drinkable, fishable um, water is my goal. Swim, drink, fish is building a movement of people who care about that goal, the gold standard of most of our environmental laws. And um, yeah, we're building a movement of people working for it. So that's what I do and that's who I am. Oh man, that's awesome! Uh, yeah, we first heard about swim drink fish. Uh, well, we've seen you know posts on social. Um, mm -hmm. Fraser Waterkeeper, we follow as well, and mm -hmm. different organizations. So let's go back then to Wolf Island, where it all began. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. Like, um, what are some of your first memories of, of Wolf Island and, and Lake Ontario? Just falling out of a car. 
after a seven hour trip from Kitchener, Waterloo, um, for two months of doing nothing but, um, catching minnows and knowing the rock that I could look at where I could see the dark little shadows above it and, um, finding that spot and catching minnows. Um, you know, that to me, I spent, you know, so many hours and I had a lot of brothers and sisters and a lot of people down there and it was an old family place and it still is. But, um, you know, my, my happy place was on the water and catching minnows and frogs and worms and crayfish. That was what I loved to do because it was in preparation of going fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Do you remember your first fish? Well, I can't remember my first fish, but there's this famous picture of me, the watermark project, which was Gord Downey was a board member and a friend of mine I grew up with. And, um, he, um, he invented what we call the watermark project, which is that everyone has a scar that Mm. they can never forget about being around water, whether it's fishing or something that happened within their family that really scarred them and left them caring about water, um, later on in life. So he calls it the watermark project. And we actually collect those stories and we post them and geotag them to their watersheds. But, you know, um, we, we looked for a picture and I was 12 years old. It was in 1973, which is relevant because prior to 2019 and 2017, it was the highest water on Lake Ontario. Um, 1973 was sort of the epic flooding, um, in early April and May on Lake Ontario. And I was 12 years old and, um, it was a Sunday, I guess. It might have been the Easter weekend. I think it was the Easter weekend. It was the only time we dressed up was to go to church on Sundays. But I had gone in my <laughs> church clothes into the marsh, and I looked into the fields, and the water was so high, the fish were in the grass. And I was like, what the hell is that fish? <laughs> and I freaked out, and I spent the next four hours trying to catch it. And when I caught it, it was a dogfish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a bowfin. Yeah, yeah. and bowfin, it's got the yeah, little yeah. dot. And yeah. I'm holding it up with my yeah. family in this yeah. picture from 1973. <laughs> As Matt, who's here with me, knows, it's, we blow it up into huge pictures, and it's called the Watermark Project. Yeah. But it was probably one of the most exciting fishes I ever caught because I thought it might be a Atlantic salmon that somehow escaped back right. into the river and <laughs> yeah. came back into Wolf Island in Lake Ontario yeah. after 20 years of the seaway. So <laughs> that's what I thought. But um, no, it turned out to be um, just a, uh, uh, you know, they're pretty cool fish. Yeah, yeah they're sure. cool. Yeah. yeah. And a special one too. I yeah. Mean, with yeah. a story like that. But, you know, we were mainly smallmouth bass, you know, pike mm-hmm. um if we catch a muskie that was like Epic. anybody caught a muskie that mm-hmm. dominated yeah. the year oh, yeah, um, for sure what else a lot of perch and you know they're not around as much the perch yeah. and the rock bass and the and the and the pump the sunfish you yeah. know but and but anyways and the crappies that's that was our thing um i've grown since then and people have taken to me on more exciting adventures around the world and now i'm into fly fishing as well so but that's where it all started Oh man, that's amazing. So I guess where did the, where did the passion for water and protecting, um, the waterways and the resources begin? Well, like I said, I grew up in Kitchener, which was a real factory town Mm -hmm. and the Grand River was a forgotten river. Um, pollution was a part of our life normalized. Um, my father died when I was young. He was the, it was part of his Irish family on Wolf Island. And, and so my mother really made an effort. We had seven kids to stay down there and keep that as a place where we had access and to go. But, um, you know, I think it was particularly when I started working in the factories in Kitchener, I worked on the hog kill line at Schneider's Meats and oh, wow. I'd kill 1600 pigs a shift. And, Jeez. um, yeah. And, um, for five years and I'd stand there, you know, every 13 seconds we'd kill another 
um, pig. Mm -hmm. And um, I was put into the knife line because I said, they asked me, what do you want to be? And I said, a lawyer. Stupid answer. I should have said, something else, doctor. You don't need your hands. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I was given a knife and I was sent to the hog kill line. And um, <laughs> anyways, and I would think often standing there, we were paid well. I mean, it was 1978 and I was getting $12 an hour. And, oh, wow. um, you know, and I'd stand there and think about um, where I wanted to be in life. And yeah. so I decided to go off to Queens University because it was across from Wolf Island in Kingston and I wanted to be near the water. And um, that's why I ended up there. And of course, Kingston had the prisons. So I, after I went to law school, I worked here in Toronto at Ozer Haas and Harcourt and was hired back as a corporate lawyer. And I said, no, I want to be a civil rights lawyer. I'm going to go right back to Kingston and go into the prisons and work. And I did. But... By being there, um, that's when I started seeing condoms and tampons and needles floating up on Wolf Island. That's when Jeez, I started man. meeting my, you know, the kids I grew up with saying, don't eat the fish from there. And most Jeez. of the people saying, don't ever swim in the lake. And mm -hmm. that's when, you know, there was one guy who was convicted of murder who was a really close friend of mine, believe it or not, Lawrence Stocking. And I represented him on um, an immigration appeal hearing. And yeah. and he was a young man, made mistakes. And anyways, he, you know, he he told me. And his family really said, you've got to do more of that environmental stuff. That's awesome. My mother watches you on TV and I was doing some environmental and criminal. Yeah. And it just, yeah, at some point I decided, you know, it was a lot easier to represent fish than it was to represent people. And um, I thought fish needed, um, didn't, they didn't have the money and I wasn't going to get rich, but they needed lawyers just as much as anyone else. So, uh, you know, that's where my love was. And then Robert Kennedy Jr., who had become a friend of mine, believe it or not, like mm -hmm. he seems like a big name, but he'd become a friend of mine in the early 90s on a case I had done um, wow. um, with the Cree. And he called me in 1999, 2000 and said, time's up. You got to become a waterkeeper. So I did in 2001. Wow. So, okay, what was the first step then into into that foray into Well, into there's that world? so many steps. Yeah. I mean, going to law school, falling yeah. in love with fish and water. Yeah. I'm, you know, you know, but with in terms of giving up my practice and doing this, it was just Robert Kennedy's a very amazing guy. His father died at 14, my father died at 14. I don't know if we ever, either of us ever grew up. We're both like little boy scouts and so we could spend our whole day out in the field and on the water and fishing. And that's mm -hmm. just the way it is. And I was surprised that someone that famous and that well-known was that juvenile. <laughs> um, but I realized it wasn't really that juvenile. It was no, really just a, you know, it was, he lives there and he still does to this day. And um, just saw him last week out in Vancouver. And I mean, he's still just, he can't get over the fish he caught when he was 14 years old and um yeah so that was a big change for me but to believe in someone to have a mentor and a real a theory behind it that mm -hmm. we need to give meaning and force to environmental laws people are stealing from us they're stealing the fish they're stealing the mm -hmm. you know they're stealing um our recreational areas that this isn't right the laws say it's not appropriate so i you know i came at it from that legal point of view i can tell you i've changed my point of view since then oh yeah um I don't think just enforcing the law is really going to get us anywhere. It's not enough. No. And that's why I changed really to swim, drink, fish, which was... Mindsets. Yeah. It was a positive thing. People mm -hmm. want to know what I'm for. 
Right. Right. For swimmable, drinkable, fishable water, as opposed mm-hmm. to being against things, and yeah, and we talk about that a lot. And the other thing was, I had to build a movement. Like, I'm not a hero. I'm not out there. I'm not going to save your fisheries or anybody who's listening to this podcast. I'm not out there to save their river or their mm-hmm. lake or their fisheries. I wish I could, but I'm only one person, and there are so many problems. So what we need to do is build a movement. Absolutely, and it's a movement of people. And those people have to work. And so along with my compatriot for the last 20 years, Kristen Tully at, you know, Swim, Drink, Fish, we've mm-hmm. built all these amazing platforms and tools now that are engaging people in water and starting with recreational water because that's the simplest. Yeah. Fishing, swimming, boating, paddling, yeah. and uh, really doing water quality testing around that, particularly with bacteria and um, E. coli, mm-hmm. which are what are the concerns. And posting that on swim guide posting that on great lakes guide these platforms we have swim guide now is all around the world three million people 10 countries we invented it for toronto (laughs) but it just keeps growing and the community keeps growing because they love engaging in the water and finding out everyone talks about not swimming in this water but what is it that we're looking for and how do i get the answer Mm -hmm. and so when they actually engage in that you guys should come down one day we do it every tuesday and thursday here in toronto you can learn how to take the sample how long it takes then you see the results and then you go that's great yeah yeah. i gotta bring one so that's simple and as we engage people they get really involved and from there they go on to become voices in Mm -hmm. incredible ways they learn other things they Mm -hmm. learn about fisheries they learn about metals and you know pcbs they Mm -hmm. learn about about polyaromatic hydrocarbons they learn about you know these new fish retardants and they don't have to be angry they don't have to be against anything they mm-hmm. just have to really represent what they love mm-hmm. and by doing that um the results are incredible so that's why i shifted i'm building a movement people working for it and um the, the results are incredible. I mean, we just saw, I, I know it's a fishing show in Kingston and Wolf Islands where I learned to fish, but, mm-hmm. you know, the Gord Edgar Downey Pier in Kingston, mm-hmm. we helped fund some of that. Well, that was a city that we grew up in. You couldn't swim in the Kingston waterfront. Just in weren't area. supposed to swim. No, just like so much of here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the cities didn't want the liability, so... We prosecuted them for their landfill. We tried to prosecute them for their sewage. Eventually, the head of the Kingston Utility, a guy named Jim Keach, said, listen, why am I fighting these guys? I agree with what they're doing. So he came up with real-time monitoring. Um, They invested in their sewage treatment plant. And then they did a waterfront restoration. And just before Gord died, I said to him, we had money from the W. Garfield Weston Foundation. And they said, pick iconic projects, ones that'll make all the difference for swimmable, drinkable, official water. And I said... That one will, Mm -hmm. because it's an urban center with tons of kids who grow up who think they can never connect with the lake. And if we can build a pier where they can go and feel safe and jump in and experience what it is to jump in the water and, you know, and fishing as well and just getting out there and feeling like it's theirs, we can make a huge difference. So, and then I asked Gord to give his name. It all came together beautifully. The Mm -hmm. architecture, Cormier from Montreal did a beautiful job. Yeah. And, um, you know, 60,000 kids last year went swimming, and I'm sure it'll be a couple hundred thousand this year. And mm-hmm. every city's now going, why don't we have yeah, urban swimming sure. piers? Like yeah. Toronto, the freshwater capital of the world. Yeah, exactly. Why don't we have an it's urban crazy. swimming pier off know. Ontario Place? Yeah. I, it is crazy. It's and that's, that's where you're going to have your first yeah. 
experience a wilderness and this yeah. lake yeah. and see the stars. An incredible lake. Yeah, incredible oh, lake. it's incredible. Yeah. Do you see so, how many pike are out oh, there? Oh, just from just, a fishing example. You get those awesome pictures of those guys catching the pike oh, in the harbor. Yeah. It's like, incredible. Oh, they yeah. look like they came from the Yukon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's I was, true. I was just talking On to paddle boards. Yeah. yeah. So I, I know this is, a, you know, an, I, I'd love to talk to you about fly fishing, um, but I just wanted to let you know a bit about um, how I got to where I am. No, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, we, no, we're here to talk to you. I want to dive into it a little bit more, even just because I think, you know, like you said, this isn't this another reason why we're doing these shows is because uh, I think the more we get into the fly fishing community and, and also it's not just people in the community. Like I think the, the idea of like, like I said earlier, single use plastics is starting to come up more and more where mm-hmm. you go to the river and you're, you're fishing and you see, sometimes you see more garbage than you see fish, mm-hmm. which is kind of insane. And I think more people are realizing that and people are anglers, just regular anglers with no, they're just fish. They, they're not, they don't have a podcast. I do don't own a fly fishing store. They're just fishing. They come off the river with a net full of garbage and mm-hmm. they post a picture on Instagram and it's starting to build a little bit more awareness around it. And mm-hmm. I, and I think your point about having a collective movement is the only way forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 100% true. So another reason why we're doing this is to sort of start trying to like usher in some kind of just get people talking about it and thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but Knowledge, I, think the, I, mean, I think there's a lot of ignorance behind yeah. the subject. So this mm-hmm. is one of the things that could educate them. And the peer was one thing I did want to talk about just because uh, oh, great. I think it's an awesome project and 100% I think it's something that uh, more places need. Like I grew up in Ottawa, similar kind of thing. The Ottawa mm-hmm. River was always too dirty to swim in or they'd have these advisories that seem like they were happening too often mm-hmm. where it's like, Oh, E. coli is too high. I can't go swimming. And Ottawa's got a really cool thing. Meredith Brown, the Ottawa river keeper. First of all, they want to build a really great, um, river, um, house. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really cool. I hope that happens, but they've got this cool thing. And Kingston is real time monitoring on its website where you can tell when the sewage are, is discharging. Yeah. But what Ottawa did is they put, a red light, like a hockey light yeah, in the goal. Like a goal, yeah. And the goal goes on, the red light goes on. Yeah. When the sewage is going in the water, the red light goes on. Okay. So I would love that here yeah, in Toronto. Yeah. It would like send Torontonians, what? Yeah, yeah, got yeah. got red lights on all these different pipes. Terrify everybody. <laughs> I, we, that was one of the recommendations we made to the Minister of Environment recently from mm-hmm. our harbor monitoring reports here in Toronto is that we need more awareness. We need more transparency. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that Ottawa did with that red light for the, particularly the kayakers, they have a national kayaking team yep. there. When that pipe discharges and it's a combined sewer overflow, and I mm-hmm. know it's something that happened 30 years ago and they haven't separated the sewage and it rains mm-hmm. from the stormwater. Hey man, just be honest about it. Yeah, for sure. And It's happening. Yeah. And that red light warns everyone yeah. and it's great. So yeah. I'd, I'd like to see more red lights on the water when the sewage is going in and then everyone would have more confidence when it's not. Yeah. 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 That's true too. So. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think accessibility of, of knowledge. Ottawa is great. And, no. and the Ottawa River is a beautiful, beautiful. river. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. The fishing's incredible. Yeah. The paddling, like you said, is amazing yeah. on there. Oh man. But when I came to like Ontario, like towards Southern Ontario, cause I moved to Toronto about five years ago. And, um, but when I was a kid, Lake Erie, I remember dead fish on the beaches yeah. and, and, but you know, people have come together to try to change that. And obviously things have gotten better over time, but I think just, um, the peer in, in your, in your, to your point, like has an amazing ability to inspire people at a young age and, and start that sort of stewardship. And early, connect right? them. Yeah. yeah. And so the number one question we had for the last 20 years is, can I swim in Lake Ontario? And mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, but whatever those kids, who experienced that peer in Kingston will mm-hmm. never ask that question again and they'll be part of the movement going forward. Um, so that's great. I, I think, you know, in recreational water is one thing 
fishing is recreational as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for so you guys, obviously, and me, that's how it, I was a swimmer and all those other things, but yeah. it was fishing. Yeah. That's what meant so much. And I know there's catch and release and, um, mm-hmm. a lot of that, believe it or not, was, um, you know, a lot of it was sort of like false charity, which they wanted you to catch and release, not just because you were part of the conservation movement, because they didn't want you to eat the fish. Right. And so there was a bit of false charity Because they were it. just sort of, they weren't edible in a way. Right. 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 And they were worried. And so they were encouraging you to do it. And so that bothered me too. And mm-hmm. particularly when I was in the North and indigenous communities and stuff, and I saw the mercury mm-hmm. in the fish and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. But, you know, to fall in love with fishery, fishing and fisheries and have water literacy and understand the fish and the and the and the um, migration periods yeah like lake ontario 40 mm-hmm. percent of lake ontario's biomass was made up of american eel mm-hmm. prior to the st lawrence seaway mm-hmm. it's they're almost extinct they're still there i know they catch them off toronto island still a lot of people when i was a kid yeah. in the 70s you know american eel still bundled up yeah the indigenous community they were easy to catch and live off because you could put them in the bowl but you know or in the in the bucket and, yeah. and eat them but do ontarians realize that the american eel lays its eggs in the sargosa sea off bermuda you know and then only the females come into lake ontario the males go to, over to europe and they live here for 20 to 25 years and then go all the way back out the sea to lay their eggs like this is an exotic animal yeah it's the third most expensive fish on the japanese fish market in terms of eating and you know the salmon does the opposite of course the salmon yeah comes into off the ocean lays its eggs and either dies or goes back out Mm -hmm. but the american eel is such a funky interesting iconic fish for lake ontario it couldn't get beyond the niagara falls so it didn't go to any of the other great lakes it was just lake ontario's fish and it bums me out that um people confuse it with the lamprey yes and or snakes yeah um and this this fish so connected to toronto hamilton niagara falls you know rochester buffalo oshawa and it's so this is its home these are the biggest and they're the females and nobody knows about it so you know i just feel like that sort of literacy mm-hmm. and those stories need to be told um, as much as the stories of me going to Labrador and f- fishing on the St. Michael's River or the mm-hmm. Tom Lumskin River or with the big river and seeing like incredible salmon and mm-hmm. brook trout, I think there also are a lot of magical stories right here on Lake Ontario. And if we cared deeply enough about it, we could restore it because those, they'll come back. Yeah. It's just, it's not like they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just whether we care enough to, to allow them to swim back up the river and back out. So what are some of the main problems facing, I guess, that the population of American eagles? The, the, the seaway. The seaway is the, the biggest the thing. Dam, yeah. The dam, the, the Moses yeah. Saunders Dam. Yeah. It particularly hurts them on the way home because when they go out, they want to go out the fastest water, which is through the turbines, and they right. get nicked and cut, and then they never make it. Right. So what's happened is in the late 60s and the early 70s when I was down there, we saw all kinds of American eel. The seaway didn't affect them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the truth is, is they live here for 20 to 25 years. So we wouldn't, weren't going to see the damages until the late 80s and 90s. Wow. And now we've watched their, um, yeah, yeah. their disappearance. So uh, we work with OPG. I mean, OPG didn't mean to do any of this. I yeah. mean, I don't think anybody wants to pollute. No. <laughs> no. But no. we all do. So yeah. let's yeah. just face up to it. I think it's it. a good point. Yeah, and yeah. we all have to do better. And so let's not 
go around and like i'm not here to scapegoat anybody mm-hmm. i'm just looking for those who are willing to work towards a swimble drinkable official future that's my yep. movement and um there are lots of ways now that they can they can figure out ways to get the fish to bypass one thing they're doing is commercial fishermen can no longer sell them yeah there's a small commercial fishery off prince edward island if they catch the fish, they keep them in a bucket and they drive them up to Cornwall and they throw them on the other side of the dam and they get $25 a fish. It's a, yeah. it's a big job driving the fish up above the dam. I mean, I've heard of that activity, but... Yeah, but it's... um, They care too. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, It's cultural, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of this stuff... Most of the fishermen I know on Lake Ontario now, the commercial fishermen, they don't make any money. Mm-hmm. It costs them more than what it... It, you know, they're making yep. in terms of keeping their licenses. The perch are disappearing. Um, the crappie, they get some money for. They're trying to pay them for pike, but they hate selling pike to commercial right. markets for pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's part of their life. It's part of where they hang out with their family. It's part of what they do in the spring. It's part of the getting them out in the water. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and they're going through a hard time right now. And so, you know, I think it's terrible that a great lake like St. Lawrence Market yeah. was built mm-hmm. to sell fish from Lake Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can still go to the market and see where the boats used to pull up in the back. Oh, really? I they didn't still know. got the piers. Wow. Oh, yeah, they do. And yeah. you can't oh, buy a fish from Lake Ontario at that market now. Yeah. Yep. And yet, it's adjacent to one of the great lakes in the world that for hundreds of years, that's what the food source was for this community. So, anyways, it can come back, but it's going to take leaders and it's going to take crazy artists and writers and singers and poets yeah. and people who can put real dreams back in the minds of Ontarians so that they can um, reimagine their watershed. And and um, hopefully one day we'll be fly fishing on the lake and on the Don River. Uh, that's oh, one of way. our <laughs> goals as well is Great. the Don and the, the Humber. Dawn. Yep. Um, it's a great we point. Still see, we still see steelhead running through them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right up the dawn. I know. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great point about, um, you know, like you say, like singers and poets and people that can inspire mm-hmm. people to dream. Um, I, I think Gord, Gord Downey was one of those mm-hmm. people. How did you and Gord first meet? You said you met when you were kids. Eh? Hey, that was my question. Oh, sorry, Elmo. Yeah, so, Gord, <laughs> when I went to Queens, Gord had just moved from Amherst View back to... Um, Right across from the Gord Edgar Downey Pier now. His family bought a house just on the back of Queen's University. So, um, you know, I got to know him at university a little bit. He wasn't really much of a singer at the time. And um, he just was an artsy guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were both towners because I considered myself from town, yeah. as did he. Um, everyone else was from out of town, Montreal, Vancouver, all across the country. Anyway, so we hung out, talked about Northrop Fry, talked about the lake, talked about books. And then one day I saw him play at Alfie's and it was like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. This guy, nervous energy, incredible talent and focus. So anyways, we became friends and um, he used to play at my house. I at My brother-in-law owned SNR. It was an old discount department store in Kingston and they had an empty warehouse. So it was 10 bucks all you could drink and the Tragic Lip would play there in 1983. And that helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, to make money and get through school and it was a lot of fun and then I went off to law school and we stayed in touch um, and then we really bonded over um, Boston Bruin games here at Maple Leaf Gardens and I had tickets I was at law school or I was a lawyer here with my wife and anyway so Gordon and I were really great friends and eventually he called me I think it was around 1998 from New Orleans and he was traveling down there and he said listen I got to get involved and I got to support what you're doing so mm-hmm. um 
you know, I went on different tours with him. We did what was called Heart of a Lake, where he'd do music. I'd do rhetoric. He brought a dancer, Andrew and Ann. He'd, um, we had a poet, Tannis Rideout, wow. and we'd go town to town. Um, you know, Tragic Lip would raise money for us. Um, he became a board member, an ambassador. We worked, uh, you know, we, and then we went north a lot. We'd go up to um, Moosonee, Moose yep. Factory, um, and that really opened his eyes to the north. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know... Uh, you know, he was so famous mm-hmm. as a Canadian. You know, mm-hmm. I'm oh, yeah. walking around doing my thing. Yeah. And yeah. Gord was like more than anyone else. Like he, yeah, he just represented so much about who we were and what we thought about. And yet he was just a friend on the other hand. And, you know, with his four kids and wife and just like the rest of us biking around Toronto and nobody saw him. And mm-hmm. we did a lot of, um, yeah, we just hung out a lot. And I watched that fame grow and grow and then the tragedy when his father died the next day he had the the seizure and to have the brain tumor and the first you know tumor removed and the next one removed and then to be so focused on going on tour across the country and bringing everyone together um including all of us and our work and the indigenous work and gord was yeah he he represents something that um he always did wasn't just at the end but he really was the driving force was behind swim drink fish mm-hmm. um waterkeeper um Kristen and i at our work um he went to every case to every hearing he would get out there and write about it do poems about it raise money for it he was never the celebrity he was always in, you know but he was always there and um that meant the world to our work and to everything we did. And I taught him how to fish. I took him north and we fished and we fly fish. And I, you know, and he just loved it so much. And he wanted his children to learn how to do that. So Louis and Clem and his daughters, you know, they really learned how to fish up on the Anakuana uh, and yeah. the Abitibi River. And, you know, that meant so much to him. And um, he grew up, you know, not necessarily having all those, he didn't feel like the lake was his. He thought it belonged to the polluters and other people. And when he realized that really, you know, he had a role. I, I know how this radio show started and I love radio and I love that you started this way. But <laughs> when you said, yeah, like these are your rivers, these are your places. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's going to do anything about it, you said fishermen are the first to step up to the plate. And I mm-hmm. think Gord felt that, that musicians are the first to step up to the plate yeah. and i know poets have said to me poets, poets. are the first to step up to the plate and right. i'm like lawyers are the first to step up in the plate so we're all competing and i like that competition yeah. and um it's true mm-hmm. if you know if we're going to have swimmable drinkable fishable water you have to step up to the plate it's mm-hmm. not can't be left to someone else absolutely yeah no. So, um, you and Gord, uh, you went fly fishing up north. Where, 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 where how, how was that? What was that like? <laughs> you said you were on the Otonabee River. Well, and- you guys fly fish. You know what it's like to fly fish with a guy in black boots, cut off jeans, <laughs> a jean jacket. <laughs> My God, he's getting yeah. burnt. The bugs are killing him. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to tell him that, you know, I know, you know, that's how you dress normally, but this is going to be different. Yeah. Anyways, and then catch a fish. And, yeah. But he got better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot better. And um, it was just fascinating. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, we all end up at the same place, don't we? Around yeah. a fire late at night. Um, yeah. You know, and there's no one better to be around a fire than with Gord. Um, whether he was just reciting poetry or reciting, you know, or he would sing songs. You know, I never wanted him too much to because I didn't want people to force him to stuff. But if we yeah. were alone and stuff, yeah. So it was really great, um, memorable. 
um, you know, things I'll treasure for the rest of my life. But um, we caught some great fish. We caught a lot of fish. And um, luckily, we were out with William Toza, who's the great hunter fisherman up in the area, and he was doing most of the cleaning. Right on, perfect. So yeah. that helped too. That is very handy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't want to see Gore with a knife trying to clean it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what about your the other side of your fly fishing life? Then we talked a little bit before the show about mm-hmm. um, Labrador. Um, can you take mm-hmm. us through some of I guess your fly fishing background? Yeah, sure. Rob Steele um, grew up in Gander, Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. His father went on to create Steel Communications. Um, and then Rob, um, he's just become incredibly successful. And his father was a good friend of, uh, what's the name of the airport in St. John, Newfoundland? St. John's Airport. Oh, um, especially the Ness. I'm going there next week. He, can't remember. I can't Anyways, remember. he. <laughs> oh, no, that's Halifax. He, he began Canadian Helicopters Corp., which became the largest private helicopter company in the world. Oh, oh wow. man. Um, anyways, I'll remember in a moment. So Rob's dad had universal helicopters with 70 helicopters yeah. and Canadian helicopters um, corporation has, and the airport's named after the guys started. And I should remember in a sec, I, I don't know how many they have, and they're still hugely successful. Rob's family ended up selling universal to the new indigenous um, provincial authority in Labrador. But both those companies started by the, their fathers and their love of fly fishing. Oh, wow. So really? the only way into Labrador. Yeah was to hire helicopter pilots to take you in. So they were flown in and their love of fly fishing. um, And they saw these helicopters and thought, wait a second, there's a business in this. Yeah, for sure. But it was all about the fly fishing. So Rob has Tom Lumpscomb camp. He also has St. Michael's camp, both on different rivers. There's um, um, big, I think there's Eagle River, um, Big River. I mean, Labrador is incredible. It's like so vast and there are these incredible rivers and Mm -hmm. in these rivers are huge runs of salmon Mm -hmm. and brook trout and we'd see wolves. Of course, we'd see um, lots of bears, um, Mm -hmm. lots of moose, very few people. The indigenous communities there were far and few between because they were at the end of the points and we'd go up in the rivers Mm -hmm. and you know, I'd never, to be honest, I can't even remember I'd ever been in a helicopter before I went there. Yeah. Um, and we'd be landing on rocks and jumping out with our fishing rods and fly fishing. And, and That's amazing. Yeah, and awesome. catching the most beautiful fish you've ever seen in your life. And, of course, we were catch and release because yeah. that's what we were doing up there. And, yeah, and I should give you a picture. You can post No, it. yeah, well, we yeah, have to post I should a picture you. of you anyway. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I should send you one of us being out there. But mm-hmm. it was... Yeah, I'd never been, I'd never been so blessed, so privileged to mm-hmm. be in that situation, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, what a place, what in Canada, um, Labrador and that coast and that perfection. And then right off one of his places in St. Michael's camp, he has the Puffin Island. There are puffins yep. flying mm-hmm. around. There are icebergs going by <laughs> all up and down that channel that would come into Hudson Bay, you know, yeah. and across would be Greenland. Who knew, right? I, mm-hmm. I hadn't. I hardly had been, I think I'd been to Newfoundland as a child twice. And so it was really incredible. And when we fly around the helicopters, you see the whales and all the other things, but it was the salmon that really drew everybody there. Mm -hmm. And it was the salmon and the fly fishing, Mm -hmm. the actual fly fishing that truly made it magical and what you dream about for the rest of the year to get back out there and just to stand on that same rock 
and um, start casting your fly and let it float over that hole that you already know exists and you know that fish is there and to have that fish you know pull on your on on your rod and you know just beautiful beautiful now it's it's a super wild place though right like there's not a whole lot of stuff going on out there in terms of you know like just humans human activity right no i wouldn't want to be there three months later (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what goes on yeah um no it's completely wild i mean they only go for six i think it's six weeks Mm -hmm. most of the camps are open for six weeks other than that um yeah, it's a pretty isolated area. Um, Davis Inlet's just up there. You know, you've got that big Voise mine development, which is in the north. Um, yeah, there's some industry and things, but Labrador is a uh, Labrador is the end of the world. I mean, and that's why the salmon are there, and that's why the brookies are there, and that's why the brook trout are there. Yeah. Um, they're more than happy oh, yeah. to be as far away from as any of us can get to. Oh, them. for sure. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you notice any? Uh, I guess like. Um, problems with the rivers out there in terms of like water stewardship or anything like that or not that we were on i mean mm-hmm. we didn't get far enough you know i heard the stories yeah um the grand river happy valley goose bay and the big dam going on the grand um mm-hmm. but we didn't get up in that area we have a river keeper up there who's working and she's a fisher um oh, awesome. and she does a lot of camping and kayaking and tours up there and she's really trying to connect people to the waterfront but what i saw up there was just pure um you could drink the water yeah. it was as pure as you've ever seen in your life um mm-hmm. the fish were as plentiful as i've ever i could imagine mm-hmm. um and um and the wilderness was as dangerous and crazy and exotic as you could imagine <laughs> so i don't know what that means but i also know that it's so hard to get to yeah. So I was so privileged to have a supporter of Swindrick Fish from the East Coast and Rob. And he really is an amazing human being and he's very privileged in his own right. But he had that access to that yeah. to to um, to get around. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's what made all the difference in the world. That airport. God. Yeah. <laughs> look it up, will you? <laughs> What's the name I of brought, that thing? I, I brought Matt here just to do one thing, to look, look up, up the things airport. I forgot. <laughs> His name is Craig something. <laughs> And the airport in St. John's is named after and his family. And he is a huge fly fisherman, salmon fisherman, who yeah. really is legendary in that area. Yeah, so. yeah. What was the most, like, what was one of the most memorable moments of that trip? The wolves. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Funny enough, our most memorable Up moments, north, yeah. Ontario, up yeah. north. On Attawapiska. Yeah, wolves. so, like, the tip of Ontario went to Attawapiska River was the wolves. Yeah, for sure. They look like ghosts. Ghostly. Yeah, and you're standing there fishing, and I'm loving. I'm catching the fish, but let me tell you, I didn't expect two wolves to turn around the corner and see us and go so fast through the water. They're more afraid than we were. But I'm not so sure. Are they afraid or curious? Well, I think they were sort of afraid during the day, but yeah. I think they would reconsider and come back for you if you let them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you actually had a fish and you saw wolves. Oh yeah, on the Lumpscombe Falls, and they just came down to the bottom and they didn't what? see us and we didn't see them. And oh man, I think I had been left there for a couple hours, so it had been very quiet, and they clearly were on their route. But I hadn't uh, really, you know, they were big and beautiful and huge. Oh. And um, so the bears scare me too a little yeah. bit. Um, so the bear, I mean, I think you and I could be friends. I mean, that's... <laughs> you was terrified of the Terrified of bear. I wasn't even terrified of friends. the wolves. And funny enough, I love the wolves because they kept the bears at bay when we were up mm-hmm. north. Yeah. So I'm sure they were doing sort of the same for you um, at that particular instance. Yeah. I mean, the bears create this crazy excitement too, though, that you're always 
aware and aware, trying yeah. to do your thing. So, um, yeah, a lot of bears up there, though. Yeah. And, of course, what they say is the moose is the most dangerous of all. That's what they do say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah. like, what is it during the or rutting ornery. season? Yeah. Ornery. Yeah. And they'll charge you. Yeah. Especially when you're out taking a leak in the woods after <laughs> <laughs> back up there. Yeah. They say, oh, they hear that. And yeah. they'll come. And so I'm like, I don't even know if that's true. They could be just scaring me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like when I was up north, there were all these guys from the States coming up and... um Patrick Madabi was just telling me this story yesterday that he took people, Americans fishing 35 years ago up at Manitoulin, and when they wouldn't catch fish, he said, well, it's because in July the pike lose their teeth, right? So the guy was back up with his new girlfriend uh, this year, and he was coming up fishing, and he was saying to Patrick, oh, well, you know, when they don't, it's the pike lose their teeth, and he goes... You still believe that 30 <laughs> years later? Like, are you crazy? We were just... Oh, my God. Pike are losing their That's team. why they don't, you know, that's why they don't bite in July. Amazing. That's um, funny. But I love those stories, too, because I'm also a bit ignorant and go into these crazy, amazing places, and I'm sure I would believe any story anybody told me to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and when you hear those stories later in life and those fishing stories, it just... Yeah, it just makes you, now it makes me laugh, but it's just great. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, so you've been fly fishing. So based on that experience, what would you, what kind of advice would you have for, for us as water stewards in order to keep being stewards of our rivers? I mean, mm-hmm. a, I think the most important thing, and you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, is to really don't ever accept, you know, don't fish, don't swim, don't fit, drink signs. I mean, those are put up to keep you away mm-hmm. we put them up because we say oh it's dangerous you shouldn't eat that fish you shouldn't go swimming in that water and stuff and okay temporarily mm-hmm. but don't put them up to push us away forever because what we're really doing is we think we're protecting people but what we're really doing is pushing them away for life mm-hmm. and so every life every kid everybody in the city of toronto who no longer knows the toronto's lake ontario's their drinking water no longer knows what fish live there no longer has a connection to you know the weather and the wind and nature um and they don't have some rich uncle or parent who's sending them up to camp to sort of experience it yeah um you're losing a voice yeah um forever and so i think it's really important as fishermen particularly that we um you know don't get pushed around that um we demand the best and we recognize that this is a really important cultural icon. This is a part of being Canadian and this is something that we do want to protect. It's not something that we're prepared to sacrifice. And with technology now, I mean, restoration is a beautiful word. Um, a lot of the mistakes we made are not permanent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly things come back. So, Succession, I guess. Yeah, right? so don't let anybody confuse you. Oh, that happened a long time ago. It's never going to come back. What are yeah. you talking about? You could have salmon and pike and, mm-hmm. and, and, and habitat in the Toronto Nine Rivers again. Mm-hmm. All of them fresh, beautiful, you know, cold water spring fed from the Oak Ridge's Moraine mm-hmm. running through our, our city. They can all be alive and well again. Yeah. Um, we can have a lake where we can eat the fish again. Um, you know, so I feel like they say there's more fishermen than golfers. Thank God. <laughs> um, Amen. Well, I'll work on the golfers later. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the fishermen sometimes get pushed into a corner and, and you know, and they, they feel sometimes that, um, you know, they have to be more conservative and they have to be more, um, they have to be less um, 
advocates and more rational because mm-hmm. they see around them all these crazy people running around and um you know being against everything no there's nothing wrong with being for something yeah and i just remind them of that there's nothing wrong with stepping up for what you believe in i get it you don't want to be a person who's against everything you recognize modernity and where we're at but you know give it a second thought and think about what you're for and don't be afraid to um to represent and if you're for fisheries and habitat and connection to water and clean water um, you know, that doesn't make you a hippie, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> even though I might've been one myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what a hippie is anymore, but anyways, yeah. you know, all my fishermen friends are very conservative Yeah, yeah. and, um, they're also great people and big hearts. Mm-hmm. And so when I say I'm an environmentalist, it can get people, you know, a little worried, sure. but then they get to know me a little bit and, um, recognize that, you know, my roots are the same as theirs and, um, you know, it's just a matter of getting over that hurdle. Yeah. That yeah, being absolutely. protective of fish and fisheries and being for clean water is not um, exactly a radical yeah. idea. No, and I think uh, I think the idea of swim, drink fish, and the the ability to eat a fish from the river is something that no angler across the fishing community can can argue with. I think you know, like we we pre- we like to practice catch and release, but we're not opposed to keeping fish at all. We've done it, and we know lots of people that believe completely in catching fish and that you should be able to just hunt for your fish and 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 keep mm-hmm. the fish from the river so i think i think what we're fi- we're all kind of fighting for the same thing and i think that's that's another reason why we want to kind of do these episodes is is to pull it together and break down those barriers of like oh environmental activists sort of hippie people and and then the mm-hmm. conservative you know hunter fishing people mm-hmm. it's it's kind of these these titles we give ourselves it's all kind yeah. of bullshit in a way yeah you know well i grew up i'll also say i grew up a hunter yeah, I still hunt camps, and um, Ducks Unlimited was yeah. you know something that I was very proud of as a young kid, and I I still am. But and they were the biggest water conservation group that ultimately grew out. They were the most environmental group. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of that tag now. Yeah, um, I think it's unfortunate. What but, is it that what freaks them uh, out? Gun laws, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, they just become, all these politic political yeah. things kind of aligning. Pro gun, the states, the mm-hmm. money being spent. I mean. Yeah, um, being afraid that someone's going to take away their right to go duck hunting or mm-hmm. to go fishing and whether that, you know, that's not true. No mm-hmm. one's doing that. And anyway, so it's very unfortunate and I still believe in their, and I know their fathers, many of them who aren't alive today would be rolling in their graves to think that their mm-hmm. kids aren't standing up for the conservation ethic mm-hmm. that was so um, essential mm-hmm. to the original purpose of Ducks Unlimited. And so sure. I... I still see hope in those organizations and I love them deeply and, um, you know, and, and the fishermen, um, I think we need to start having inner city kids again, feeling safe about going in the water in our cities. That's yeah. what the Gordon Edgar Downey Pier and I'm hoping Toronto will have one off Ontario place soon and mm-hmm. Hamilton and everywhere else. And I'm hoping new Canadians can experience that and not feel like, you know that mm-hmm. they are part of the canadian culture as well and they can go yeah. down there and feel like it's i i call it an art installation for them and i say you should go down there and experience yeah. this art installation you jump in this cold water and you feel this crazy <laughs> sensation and you'll sink yeah. and die if you don't start flapping yeah oh great and then you can take a selfie and you can go home so yeah. i and the environment is an art installation in oh, some that's ways. interesting that's what i, I that. talk about I you know what that. i kind of love that too yeah, yeah really and, and and if that's what it takes um yeah. to get them involved at the beginning and I and I go back to Gord Downey I tell you he hated mm-hmm. 
fishermen and you know all the the camel gear yeah. and the way the fishermen had all the waders and everything and then he'd go to the beach and they'd be the, all these ripped muscles and they're you know what are those shirts called that i was tank you know, tops yeah tank tops yeah. and yeah. and they had all the girls and they knew all the music and gordon's watermark was that i'm just a corny little white kid who you know didn't feel very welcome yeah. at a beach or on a fishing boat yeah. or um on a sailboat right yeah. and i don't belong to this community yeah. and it took a lot of guts for gord to realize no that's my waterfront too and my yeah. experience is just as valid as theirs yeah. and it'll be my experience and it i don't need to fall into their experience and so gord taught us a lot about that and yeah that's a you know, really and, cool way of looking at it actually yeah it is it's yeah. you know you know how many people get pushed away from our waterfronts by so yeah. many different fashions or fads or whatever yeah hey man it's we own it. It's not owned by the government or the corporations or the polluters. We own all our waters. It's our waters. It's your experience. And mm -hmm. hey, you know. if it makes you feel better, I think I think yeah. it's less and less of those muscle um, <laughs> douchey dudes that are on the. In, on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually think I, f I feel a lot of hope for the new generation that's coming up. There's a lot of inclusivity and like, yes, you know. Um, well, I think Gord, I think that perspective Gord shared though about. Uh, it belonging to everyone, yeah, that's what I'm and saying. you yeah. can print your own yeah. thing is yeah. a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think what I'm saying is our new generation yeah. now are realizing that they can do that. Yeah. I agree. Maybe I, some of them. That's the, the hope. Of, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and I think in the urban centers where most people live, that's where we need to make the most effort mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. give them that connection, mm -hmm. because they're not going to know. They're not going to run a charity like I do and know some guy who's going to take them on a helicopter they might not get into some of these northern areas they need to start here and this yeah. is where they learn the basics yeah. about living on a great lake and yeah. this is where you learn about weather and temperature and mm -hmm. depth and water and fisheries and it's right here yeah it's right there well i think and making i think making it your own though is a huge yeah. thing. i mean because you know, Gord, it's funny because he, he, when he's saying about the stars and Bob Cage and everyone from hunters to hippies to left, right, whatever, we're <laughs> singing along. So oh, yeah. I think it's something to be said about, uh, you know, doing it your own way and, and running with it. And I hope I hope to see that more too, for sure. Yeah. Get the name of the airport, eh? Craig? Dobbin. Dobbin. Craig Dobbin. That's Dobbin it. Airport. Yeah. yeah. So Dobbin. Craig and his family, they started Canadian Helicopters Corp and it's called the Dobbin Airport in St. John's, Newfoundland. And he... um he was this fly fisherman. So awesome. And that's what built his business, his love for fishing. That's super cool. Yeah. So apart from, um, I guess, Lake Ontario, what are some special other places in Ontario that you hold dear? Well, I'm the Lake Ontario Waterkeeper. I started here, but, you know, Swim, Drink, Fish is, oh, it's all over the place. We yeah. run Fraser Riverkeeper, North Saskatchewan Riverkeeper. Mm -hmm. We have a camp up on, um, Camp on Aquana, um, on the Abitibi, just south of Moose Factory, Moosonee. Um, we run swim guide, um, drink guide. These are platforms that give you information about whether you can drink the water, whether you can go swimming in it. Um, watermark where we collect the stories that are basically the evidence. That's what I think of it as, um, that will protect water bodies going forward. So if you fish on the water, you swam on the water, you don't think of it as evidence, but believe it or not, capturing those stories yeah. and geotagging to those watersheds going forward are, are what are going to protect them. Yes, so we have that yeah. project as well. That's an awesome way to look at it, actually. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, 
like a historical evidence of what the river once was. Yeah. So that nobody yeah. can come in and say, hey, there's no value to this water. Yeah. What are you talking about? You yeah. yeah. And so we are trying to populate the entire country with these stories. Yeah. And very much encouraging fishermen who go to these areas and see things and have these stories that are so important to them, but making sure that those stories are somehow um, archived. Um, on those watersheds. So that's our watermark project. Um, that, the watermark project, by the way, if you haven't seen what it is, check it out online because it's super cool. Uh, there's tons of stories on there yeah. from all over the place, all over Canada about different rivers yeah. and, and things like that. We'd love to c- c- contribute to that. We went to the Attawapiskat last July and we I took a ton of content. I can't believe That's it was so awesome. Best. It was the best. And talk really? about like, the best. well, just pristine river. That's yeah. Did you fly into Fort Albany? We flew into, right, actually it was right into uh, like a cabin on in the middle oh, of the Attawapiskat. So you landed on the water. Yeah, yeah landed on the water. On the water. From, from Hearst. From so Hearst. From, from Hearst. Hearst. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And our guide was uh, an indigenous fella from Fort Albany, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. He yeah. was been guiding there for 40, 50 years. Yeah. It was amazing. But the river was just like, we drank. All, all our water yeah. from the river the whole week. Mm-hmm. We caught fish that just a crazy amount of fish. Like you catching walleye? Oh walleye, yeah, crazy walleye. walleye on the on the fly top water walleye. Wow. And we ate some of the walleye because we caught so many, of. and they were oh, yeah, they were great. delicious, delicious, cleanest fish like I've ever had. It was oh, yeah. just, it was amazing. Yeah. But one day that could come under threat that that river too, right? Because mm-hmm. why not? Well, that was you were on the Albany. Uh, Attawapiskat River, yeah. The Attawapiskat, oh right. Down so from, Attawapiskat. down so from a smaller Attawapiskat. little um, tributary. Of, is that a tributary? It's a pretty, no, that's a pretty main river. It comes out of James Bay. Oh, and it runs around that little, yeah. Because kind of goes The like Albany a, comes out at Fort Albany, right? Yeah, yeah. So the Attawapiskat's the one that comes it's just below south. it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, amazing. So I've only been there forever. once. I was there with the Tragically Hip when they went up to do a concert in Fort Albany in yeah. the middle of the winter. Yeah. And, um... And I know that Attawapiskat and Fort Albany are like incredible place. Oh, I yeah. knew that the Albany River is the last Ontario f- free flowing river. Yeah, it's the last one we have in the province. Oh man! So it's, it was all amazing. the others have dams just for your. Everything else is dammed up in Ontario. Yeah. Wow, jeez. So the yeah. Attawapiskat is uh, that's beautiful. That was great. Well, one day I'll have to get you up to camp on Aquana. Oh man, totally. It'd be amazing. Talk about a podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a lot of black flies and mosquitoes when you're there? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, once you're on the river. Say, yeah, we're fine. It was you fine. Are? Yeah, it was fine. It could have been worse. We it, expected it could have been worse. worse. Yeah, we expected worse. I think, yeah, maybe because it was really windy, you know, yeah. that helped. And Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Tomogamy is probably the, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah. Speaking of an Ontario right. play, I mean, a beautiful wilderness, that. The bugs. They have bugs. They take you away. Oh my god, Wicked. they take me away. Oh, I yeah. flew for the first time actually. Makes you feel <laughs> really. Bugs picked you right up. <laughs> Makes me you right feel up. like you don't ever want to be a moose. Oh, oh man, I, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. That's crazy. Don't know how they do it. Thanks so much, guys, for having me on. By the way, yeah, no, I, and I love radio. Kristen and I did a hundred podcasts. Oh my god, really? Called Living at the Barricades. Yeah, yeah. in the two thousands, and um, but then we had to focus our attention on building these platforms, swim guide and stuff. So we put all our money yeah. into building these new um, platforms that would give people this information about water quality. So, but I miss the days yeah. of doing radio. Is that stuff still alive for people to find it somewhere? Matt, yeah, it's I think there, it's all yeah. on Apple. We were nice. doing really well. Oh. We did oh, weekly. Oh, SoundCloud, right? Yeah, it's on SoundCloud. We'll post that link in the show notes too. But um, it would have been perfect episodes. to have you at the CBC building, though. You know, I apologize of our workload here, but I mean, I'm I prefer man. to be here. I don't know if the listeners know that, but I actually have a beer on these yeah. great big wooden tables, yeah. <laughs> and it's so light. Yeah, and I don't feel like. I'm selling out by going down to the CBC. That's right. Place, so. <laughs> I don't know. 
That's right. Nice. No, I love the CBC, but I just I'm worried. Yeah, I'm worried about its future. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. Um, so we have five questions actually on the show that we oh, ask great. every yeah. single person. Before that we, we let you go, great. And I we love have questions. everyone on five questions, okay. and they're very fly fishy questions. So, okay. um, we'll start with number one. And take your time answering them. It's not like mm. a buzzer beater thing. So this first question is, what is your favorite fish and why? Wait, 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 wait. Before we start, oh. can you please introduce the segment correctly, please? Oh, yeah. This, this segment is called Mitchie's Fishies 5. <laughs> My name is Mitchie, and there's five questions. And they're all fishy. <laughs> we really, we, we go all out on the show. Right. All out. I have a segment, but we won't do that today. Anyways, continue. And I'm not going to be difficult and say, how can I pick one? Yeah. yeah. So it's, no, okay. Oh, yeah. Do whatever, anything right. you want. But what is your favorite fish and why? Mm. really hard but truth be told um and i'm not going to pick mammals whales and dolphins because they're not really fish um i'm just going to go with the smallmouth bass um awesome they they are always exciting Mm -hmm. um it's always an amazing experience to catch them Mm -hmm. and they're always in really cool interesting places yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so smallmouth bass if you can go smallmouth bass you can't go wrong it's beautiful ontario fish Absolutely. yeah my favorite yeah actually well and they taste good i mean you guys probably let catch and release but they don't yeah. taste bad either no i've just actually never case. had a smallmouth bass. really never I, I think i need to try one just mm. just to try one. Oh well you see so now it's changed but when we were kids of course we it was ate, we ate them. Yeah. yeah that was our favorite fish to eat i've oh, had i've did. had one on on georgian bay um on Christian Island, and it was good. It was a bit fishy, I yeah. must admit. Might have been in the summer. In the it summer, wasn't the summer, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you get them, you don't want to get the small bass in the shallow water in the summer because yeah. they can get that's a little exactly, soft. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. that's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Good to know. Classic. Definitely don't eat those largemouth bass. You get them large <laughs> in the summer because they're really yeah. soft. <laughs> <laughs> two foot, of, two three feet of water. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, cool. Number two. Uh, so this one is: if you could fish anywhere in the world right now. Where would you go and why? Yeah, it would be um, Eagle River, Labrador. Yep. And it would be to go back to my favorite spot where I fly, you know, we're fly fishing for salmon. There's there's nothing like it. It's just extraordinary. It sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah, especially flying in a helicopter. Jesus, man, who oh, are you? You should see the size of these salmon. Man. <laughs> yes. man. they're Just beautiful. Amazing. They're silver and they're gorgeous. Yeah, Atlantic salmon. Yeah. Number three is what is your best fishing memory? Yeah, that's easy. Um, it's getting up five in the morning when my father would come in, and you know he'd be out late, but we'd get up in the morning and head off to Maine Duck Island in Lake Ontario, which is about twenty-five miles. Um, due south of Wolf Island, you know that's that's my life. That's what I. I mean, my father died when I was fourteen, so it's just so powerful. Mm-hmm. And being out in the middle of Lake Ontario and going to this island that reminds me of the Galapagos Island, where the elm mm-hmm. trees are all huge and there's water snakes everywhere and the bass are jumping everywhere. I mean, that's that's the perfect picture for me. So that's my memory. A summer day. With dawn coming up, heading out to the Maine Duck Island. Maine Duck Island, man, that is... You've never been there? I So I first heard <laughs> about Maine Duck Island actually in an interview Gord did on, uh, I think it was The yeah, Hour. Yeah, because I take them there every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I heard that interview and that's I was very, like, I have to go. That's how he found out about it. It yeah. looks like the most amazing place ever. Oh, it's amazing. 
I mean, if you've never been in, and you know, for Lake Ontario to have a place like that. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. And to get there and discover it, it's like the Bermuda Triangle there. It's called the Mary's Vorg Vortex. There was an old meteor, so none of your compasses work. There's 189 ships that crashed. It was the old bootlegger spot. There's stuff buried there, but the shoals are full of fish and the water snakes, the big black water snakes are everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, There's nobody there. And, uh, you know, like I said, the elm trees are 200 years old and you go, wow, that's what elm trees look like. Oh man. It's amazing. Prehistoric. And, and yeah. And it's, and it's, it's in the middle of the it's lake right the and middle. it's special and it smells different and it looks different and everything about it is incredible. It's 550 acres. Yeah. Okay. It's got high cliffs on one side and beaches on the other and all kinds of shoals. So, so the fishing you, was good. The fishing's in, that's where every American goes. Just amazing. From Clayton fishing. in upstate New York. That's yeah. where they head boat and on over right on and you can get them in 25 feet of water you can get them off the shoals the fishing's everywhere and that's you know that's the that was where lake ontario's commercial fishery was centered there was a, a village of over 70 to 80 huts there where people fished all summer and, oh, wow. oh man yeah so all of that debris and that weird history still there oh that is cool yeah that's crazy uh yeah check out pictures of it online it's like uh it like you say it's like a, it's like a tropical island it is it just looks amazing and the waters is pure and smells different and, and looks different and tastes different and everything about it is amazing oh man anyways well, that's a lot cool. of birds too yeah it's like a big like migratory sort <laughs> yeah. of route eh? yeah but there's not a lot of people out there. I guess you look nobody. No I mean, the around. sailors go there. There's a yeah. little marina that the government's built. It's a federal park. So yeah. they built a, um, a danger bay where you can go in and they have washrooms and, um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's still there for that. The queen once stopped there and had her, had her lunch on her big fancy boat in the early seventies. And it used to be Dulles from Dulles airport in Washington. He oh. owned it. Oh. It was American until 72 and Canada got it back. Whoa. No, till 72. Yeah. Wow. And Dulles would hide out up there. And no his, way. his, his chimney and his foundations are still there from where oh, he lives. So oh, I can show you that one day. That is yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is awesome. And Yeah. Anyways, make sure you get there. Yeah. Anybody who loves Lake Ontario, make sure you go to Maine. It's not in a rowboat, though, eh? No. (laughs) Very dangerous. It's an ocean out there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So number four is why do you fly fish or why do you fish at all? Because I'm 57 now and I need to fill my time with things that are really I enjoy doing. Yeah. And there's nothing better than fly fishing (laughs) for time. And it... um. You know, it's beautiful, it's athletic, it's it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always excitement and imagination at the end of it. And it just, it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And that's what us older folks need. <laughs> um, we need to fill a lot of time um, and be enjoyed. And, you know, I know a lot of other people go golfing. A lot of people go to the racetrack. A lot of people, I don't know what else they do. They watch Netflix. But for me, fly fishing fills that void. Yeah. This awesome. might seem a little lofty, but time does kind of stand still when you're fly fishing. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it's like a time Well, saver. it does stand still, but it, it also yeah. takes yeah, up a lot goes. of time before you know it. It's nighttime. Yeah. yeah. It's true. Um, so this next one, number five, the final in Mitchie's Fishies 5, is what fly pattern represents you best and why? So I don't know what a fly pattern is, mm-hmm. but I know this, mm-hmm. that, you know, my favorite 
with the fly was to cast it as far away to the left as I could yeah. and let the current take it and just buzz it across that deep hole. So I don't know what that is. Swinging. Oh yeah. Swinging, swinging with yeah. like a, so I, well, I love to swing the fly yeah. and that's what makes probably the bomber when you were fishing. Sand. Probably the bomber. Yeah. Big sit on the top of the water type yeah. of fly. Yeah. yeah. They were all made by guys from Gander, Newfoundland. Yeah. They made their own flies and oh, put yeah. them on. <laughs> but I mean, for me to bring that, swing that fly across that deep hole where yeah. they were, there was nothing more exciting for me than that so um, swing is the best i guess swinging what else is there well Let's, when it comes to fly patterns there's so many it's just like any kind of lure right yeah dropping do, them do you remember i mean when you were a kid you were probably fishing with worms and hooks like the rest like no, everybody that's right? a, yeah yeah i yeah. was the i was an artificial worm guy yeah with the big spinner on the front yeah. and the little worm oh yeah those are my favorites <laughs> and a maps you know you need yeah those every once in a while. you had the daredevil yeah, yeah, yeah. i love it um and then you know live bait was i'd get it for everyone else but the truth is i didn't like fishing with live bait yeah yeah so neither did nothing I. worse than I putting know, a yeah. poor little frog on the end of your uh, hook and sending nope. him up there i was yeah. ah, it just broke my heart I know. Time. but even leeches to be a man yeah. um now we all have one point right yeah, but we get yeah. to fly fishing eventually for you know yeah kind of those reasons as well yeah because yeah, it's not it's a little you I don't get know. to make a yeah. artificial fly we do yeah beautiful. you tie them all up it's amazing beautiful yeah so what does um what does swim drink fish have in store for the summer and the fall and and rest well of um tuesdays and thursdays anybody who wants to come out in the toronto harbor can be part of our environmental hub and learn how to sample and see their results um ultimately published on swim guide we also have an environmental hub in niagara one up on manitoulin island we have one in vancouver so there's a lot of opportunity to get involved with our work um you know our legal work we don't need that many volunteers for because it's a very difficult um it's a different area. It, it, it's, it requires professionals. Yeah. So in terms of engaging the public, citizen science, sampling, monitoring, um, you know, if you want to get involved just even in your neighborhood, swim guides everywhere. Mm-hmm. We update more than 8,000 beaches around the world every morning. It's a free app. Nothing. We, we don't charge money for anything. So if you just want to go to www.theswimguide.org or go to Google or What's the other one called? Apple. Yeah. yeah. And then you download the app. Um, you can see all the beaches, see the water quality, see the, how they chart, see how they've done over the course of the year. Take photos for us. If you see pollution, send it to us on that site. Um, get involved. Um, learn how to, how, to, how to take control of that waterfront yourself and help protect it. Um, you know, that's what we're really trying to do is build a community of people working for swimmable, drinkable fish water. So that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we do so much else. I, I don't even know what else to say. I just really want to talk about fish. So, um, yeah. call me up if you want. Yeah. Um, go to waterkeeper.ca in Canada, um, or swimdrinkfish.ca. And yeah, and just stay in touch. We're, we got, we have two offices here in downtown Toronto. We're all over the country. We've got great people, amazing board members, incredible ambassadors, you know, hockey players, writers, yeah. all kinds of people who just love this country and love the wilderness and love fishing. So, um, we can find a way to take advantage of, um, anyone's passion for water. That's amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's been so good talking to you and hearing about thank you guys, all your stories yeah. and, and everything it's been else. Great. And, 
Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for coming. Thanks, Shana. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah. Really great being here. Absolutely. No, it's been awesome. Um, you can find all SoFly stuff at SoFly.ca, including uh, this show. And uh, well, if you're listening to it, then that's kind of irrelevant information. Uh, but check us out on social Instagram. We're the SoFly crew. And you can reach out to us at the SoFly crew at gmail.com with any questions. Um, if, or if you want to find more information about Waterkeeper or uh, what we're trying to do um, to kind of motivate fishermen on the river to uh, clean things up and, and push this forward. Um, that's it for me, Mitch Yilma. Bye-bye. And thanks so much for listening, everybody. And uh, Oh, and goodbye to Matt, too. Yeah. <laughs> thanks <laughs> for care, listening. Guys. Thanks. Right. Thanks, thanks.